Uh, it's good to see all of y'all today. Um, it's good to see a living room full of people who are here, not just because it's full, but pe- full of people who are here wanting to worship God. Um, I think in a day and age like this, uh, this is this is rare, but, but praise God. Um, if you were here last month when I came in, uh, preached at Christ Church. Um, I picked a passage in uh, 1 Timothy, uh, one that I thought would give us some motivation, some oomph going into the new year. Um, and as I thought about that sermon, I thought about, you know, why don't we just do a series through at least the first book of Timothy? Um, and so I emailed um, Mark and, and George about it, and they seem to be okay with the idea. So, so here we are. Um, I want to ask us a question for, for, for this church, for Christ Church. Um, if you could pick anyone, if you could pick someone, anyone, uh, it could be an alive person, it could be somebody from the past. If you, pick, if you could pick someone to come to Christ Church to consult with us, to be a consultant for, I don't know, a month, two months, half a year, uh, to, to, to guide us and lead us, give us suggestions for, for how we ought to do this ministry, give us pointers and tips for how to do evangelism on 69th Street. If you could pick someone, anyone to do that, who would it be? And what would he say to, to a church like ours? Um, I don't think there's any better person than Paul. And that's probably, that's kind of the reason why I thought 1 Timothy would be a fitting book for us to go through. Because imagine if Paul were here and giving us Christ Church instructions for how we ought to conduct church and moreover how we ought to live our Christian lives. And what would he say? Well, it's right here. In First Timothy, um, First Timothy is a book, and we'll talk about this in three main points. First, we'll talk about uh, the background of First uh, Timothy, um, and then we'll talk about uh, the the charge, the, the the reason why Paul is writing to Timothy, the charge that Paul is giving to Timothy. But then we'll also talk about the charge that Paul is giving to us, Christ Church. Okay, so first, um, the background. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the background. I mean, we could do a whole Sunday school uh, morning about the background, but I'll just point out a couple things. If you look in verse 1, verse 1 introduces us to Paul, who calls himself, uh, look in your Bibles, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God. Paul is being very literal here. Uh, He's reminding us of how he was converted and how he ended up in Ephesus in the first place. Uh, If you remember the events of Acts 9, when Paul, at that time named Saul, was persecuting Christians, he was on his way to Damascus to, to persecute more Christians, when a bright light appeared to him and blinded him. That bright light, we know, was the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who later in Acts 9 commands 
Saul to be his, quote, chosen vessel to bear his name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, Acts 9, 15. So literally, Christ gave Paul, or Saul, a commandment to be his apostle. So that is how Paul identifies himself, an apostle by the commandment of God. Look at verse 2. We're going through this background uh, very quickly. Verse 2 introduces us to Timothy. Paul uh, writes about Timothy as a true son in the faith. This shows us a little bit of the, the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Timothy was not a biological son of Paul, um, but nevertheless, Paul was very close to Timothy uh, spiritually. He was a spiritual son. Um, I would say, you know, a lot of folks have spoken about Paul and Timothy as this kind of mentor-mentee relationship. I think it was much closer than that. Um, in Acts 16, this is when Paul meets Timothy. Um, Paul mentions how, well, the book of Acts mentions how Paul wanted to have Timothy come along with him and Silas and the other disciples as they went on and continued their second missionary journey. But then in Acts 16, it also says that a lot of the Jewish folks, because Timothy was half Jew and half Greek, Timothy was not circumcised. So Paul took it upon himself to circumcise Timothy. Now, I've had mentors, you know, in my life. I don't think any of them, my mentors, you know, would be that kind of, you know, uh, intimate or close with me. All right. So, so this is Paul. Paul is really close to Timothy. He's a spiritual son uh, to, to Paul. Verse three. We are introduced to the situation. Verse 3 mentions how Paul is going into Macedonia. Macedonia is modern-day Greece. Paul is going into Macedonia, but commanding Timothy to remain in Ephesus. Ephesus is current-day, modern-day Turkey. Now, uh, we need to kind of picture a map, if you will. All right? You have... You know, from your perspective, you have Turkey right here, and Ephesus is here. You have the Aegean Sea, and then on the other side, you have Macedonia, Greece. Okay, so Paul is in Turkey. He's leaving Turkey. He's going to Greece, but he wants to leave Timothy in Ephesus, in Turkey, to take care of that church. This is a moment in history that is not recorded in Acts. Actually, this event of Paul leaving Timothy in Ephesus and going into Macedonia comes after all of the events in Acts. Okay, so, so we know the book of Acts ends with Paul being imprisoned in Rome and Paul, um, you know, preaching as he's under house arrest in Rome. This event in, in 1 Timothy comes after that. Why do we say this? Um, and why do we say this as opposed to saying this event is what happened in Acts 20? If you know your Bibles, Acts 20 is when Paul has this gathering with the Ephesian elders as he's about to leave. 
and there are many tears shed as he says goodbye to the Ephesian elders. Okay, that's Acts 20. Why is 1 Timothy not Acts 20? And why is it after all of the events of Acts? For two reasons. Um, in Acts 20, Paul is leaving Ephesus. He's leaving Turkey to go on his way to Jerusalem. So he's traveling east. He wants to make his way to Jerusalem. Here, very obviously, Paul is not headed that way. He's headed west. He's going back into Greece, back to Macedonia. So that's the first reason why the, the background of 1 Timothy is not Acts 20. The second reason. In Acts 20, Timothy is still a very young convert. He's a very recent disciple. Um, Paul meets Timothy in Acts 16. So this is only four chapters later in Acts 20 when, when Paul meets with the Ephesian elders and, and goes back to Jerusalem. And we know that Paul at that moment would not leave Timothy to be in charge of that church because Timothy was too young. In fact, in this letter in 1 Timothy, Paul himself says, do not make a new convert an elder because of the various temptations and the pitfalls that that new convert might fall into. Well, Timothy at that point is not qualified to be an elder, much less Paul's replacement to take care of that church. So 1 Timothy is written much, 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 much later than Acts 20, than the events of Acts. Um, we believe that Paul, while he's in Rome, uh, if you read the end of Romans, he does express a desire to, to reach the ends of the Roman Empire in Spain. And we believe that he did that on a fourth missionary journey that's not included, that's not recorded in the book of Acts. Um, and it's during that trip that Paul, you know, takes Timothy, takes Titus and tells these disciples of his, okay, you stay here to take care of this church. You stay here to take care of this church while I, you know, travel to, to other places. Basically, Paul needs Timothy to remain in Ephesus to put things in order. Look at verses 3 to 4. Verses 3 to 4 talk about some of the problems happening in the Ephesian church. Uh, the Bible says that some were teaching, quote, fables and endless genealogies. Now, the Bible here doesn't tell us what specific heresies these were. We know at that time, in other parts of the Bible, there were these uh, false teachers called Judaizers who said you weren't really saved by faith alone. You had to be saved by faith, but also through circumcision, through obedience to the, 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 the laws of Moses. Um, those were the Judaizers. We know they existed in the, the churches at that time. We also know there were these other false teachers called Gnostics. Uh, Gnosticism, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of that term. Gnostics were uh, Greek philosophers or, or people who followed Greek philosophy that believed that everything physical, like your flesh, everything physical by itself, in itself, was evil, but... Everything non-physical or non-material, like your soul, your spirit, was, you know, in itself, pure and good. Okay? So, which meant that they thought 
um, Jesus didn't really have a physical body because Jesus was perfect. And so how can a perfect person have, you know, physical flesh, which is inherently evil? Um, and they also believe that you didn't really need uh, salvation for your soul, <laughs> for your spirit, because that in itself was pure and good. Okay, so, so there's a, a couple of problems with, with Gnosticism. Um, Paul doesn't mention these by name. He only says, don't give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Um, in fact, later in this book of 1 Timothy, Paul will mention these false teachings by other names. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, uh, don't follow these deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, he says, don't follow these profane and old wives' fables. And then in 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, he says, don't follow profane and idle babblings and contradictions. Paul never mentions a specific heresy. Instead, he uses these variety of words to describe all kinds of false teaching. So I think Paul isn't focusing on just one heresy or two. He's focusing on all of these false teachings, anything that is contrary to sound doctrine, any teaching that goes against the word of God follow, uh, falls under this umbrella that, that Paul is warning Timothy about. These are fables and these are endless genealogies, deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons. Put it this way, uh, if we put it like that, uh, this letter is very relevant for us today. It's very relevant for us today. And I'm not just talking about the world out there. Uh, in many churches or so-called churches, there is false teaching, right? And that is why maybe this is the wisdom that Paul had through the Holy Spirit. That is why it's so great that Paul doesn't just focus on Judaizers or Gnostics. Because maybe a church out there doesn't have Judaizers or Gnostics, but there's other false teaching, right? And this letter addresses that as well. Um, so, so this letter is going to be a very timely letter for us to, to go through. So that's the background. Let's talk about the charge. Okay, the main point of this letter. Paul gives Timothy a charge. But before we talk about that, let's answer this question. Okay, so Paul calls Timothy a true son in the faith because he's very close to Timothy and Timothy is very close to him. If that's the case, then why does Paul in verse 1 emphasize the fact that he is a, an apostle by the commandment of God? Right? If they're so close together, if Timothy knows all about Paul, why does Paul begin his letter by reminding Timothy, hey, I'm an apostle by the commandment of God? Timothy knows that. I think it's because of what Paul does Immediately later on, he charges Timothy. He gives Timothy a command. But Paul reemphasizes the fact that he's an apostle by the commandment of God to let Timothy know that this command doesn't just come from himself. This command comes from God. Okay, 
I received this command from God to be an apostle. And now I'm charging you because the command comes from a higher authority. They must be taken seriously. These are not suggestions for church. These are commands, charges, and not just charges by Paul, charges coming from God. Now you're sitting there and you're saying, of course, yeah, we know 1 Timothy is commands by God. But I want you must remember that as we go through the rest of this book. Because in this book, we will talk about qualifications for elders and deacons. Qualifications that many churches today say, well, they're just suggestions. But they're just Paul writing in his own time. We don't really need to follow them, right? Even the first qualification that elders must be men and deacons must be men. How many churches do you know, even conservative, maybe even reformed churches do you know, that say, well, it's just a suggestion. No, these are charges coming straight from God. The roles of men and women. This book will talk about them. Okay. Proper worship. Even about hair. This book will talk about them. How masters and slaves and servants ought to, 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 to behave towards one another. How children ought to behave towards parents. This book will talk about them, and they are not suggestions. These are all charges, commands from God. So we must remember that. Actually, this idea of a charge, uh, if you look in verses 3 all the way down to verse 5, this is what the Bible says. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, verse 3 to 5. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia... Remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And then going down to verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment, that word is really the same word as charge. Now the purpose of the commandment or the purpose of the charge is this. Love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. So even in the verses that we read, Paul repeats this word charge twice. So it's important. In fact, in the rest of this letter, uh, that word to charge someone or to give someone that a commandment and the various forms of that, uh, it's used seven more times, seven other times or seven total times in First Timothy. So, so this is very forefront in, in Paul's mind as he's giving uh, this writing this letter to Timothy. This is a book about charges. These are marching orders. These are commandments, charges, not just from Paul, but from God to Timothy, not just to Ephesus, to us, to all of God's church. Now, that word charge is very interesting. Uh, it's the same word Jesus used when he did a miracle and he charged someone, don't tell. Uh, it's the same word that's used in Acts 1 when Jesus charged his disciples after the resurrection, remain in Jerusalem until 
power comes. You think any of his disciples left Jerusalem? You think anyone took that as a suggestion? Oh, well, you know, it's just a suggestion. Let me take a trip to, I don't know, Africa or China and come back. You think any of his disciples left Acts? I mean, left Jerusalem in Acts 1? No, they, in fact, they stayed there and they kept praying until the time came, until Pentecost came, right? It's the same word in Acts that the teachers of the law used when they forbade Peter and John from preaching the gospel. They charged them, don't preach in Jesus' name. And then what did Peter and John do? They broke that charge. They preached in his name. And then what happened? They threw them in jail. And then they lashed them. Okay, so it's not a suggestion. A charge is a charge. Must be taken seriously. If you break a charge, which I believe Peter and John rightfully did, right? But if you break a charge, you would be punished for it. Not a suggestion. It, it's basically the same that God did for, for Joshua. We Remember, uh, we read Joshua 1. Um, this is God speaking directly to Joshua after Moses had died. And remember, you know, of all the things that God could have emphasized to Joshua, of all the things that God could have emphasized to Joshua, what did he emphasize? Keep my law. Keep my commandments. Do not swerve to the right or to the left of them. Right? I mean, Joshua had a huge task. He had to lead his people. He had to fight these battles. He had to manage all the affairs of the, of the tribes and the families. God didn't give him, you know, any directions on, well, you need to be this and you need to do that and you need to do that. God only gave him one command. Follow my word. Obey. Right? Don't swerve from the words of my, you know, the, the words that I gave Moses to the right or to the left. Again, we need to remember this as we continue to go through this book because we will get to parts that seem like minutia, seem in insignificant. And we will get to parts that a lot of churches don't take seriously. Okay, we need to remember this this overarching emphasis on a charge everything in this book is a charge doesn't matter if we're talking about officers gender roles worship styles uh, relationships everything in this book is a charge so that is paul's charge to timothy how about us what is our charge well what does paul tell timothy to do uh, basically, Paul tells Timothy that he has to fight, but not only fight, he has to have a focus. There is a fight and a focus. Look at verse 3 again. I urge you, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So Timothy is to charge, so Timothy's, Paul is charging Timothy with something, and then Timothy is supposed to charge others that they teach no other doctrine. 
Now, I want you to picture how that might play out in your mind. Okay, say you're in a church, and someone, probably a leader, an elder, a pastor, or a teacher, is teaching false doctrine, and you go up and you charge them: don't teach false doctrine. What's that going to create? That is going to cause a fight. That is going to cause a fight. But that's Timothy's charge. He's not just to keep his own teaching pure. Notice Paul doesn't just tell Timothy, "Well, don't worry about other people; just teach good stuff yourself." He's not to just listen to what other people teach and then try to come back later on and try to correct it behind the scenes. He's to confront those who are teaching. Fables and endless genealogies. He's to charge them. Don't do it. That's Timothy's job, and it would cause a fight. And here Paul is saying sometimes a fight is necessary. But Paul also doesn't stop at just that. It's not enough just to fight, because Paul goes on, verse five. Now the purpose of the commandment, we said this word commandment is the same word as charge. So Paul is basically saying the purpose of this charge that I'm giving to you, the purpose of this charge is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. You see, just to fight—that's not good enough. You know, we're not here just to fight with others. Okay, that's not the purpose, and that's not the goal. That's not the end point. The end point actually is to love. That's the ultimate goal. It's to love. It has to be genuine love from a good conscience, meaning it's not. Well,、uh, I grit my teeth and bite my lips. I love you, but really, I kind of don't. Okay. From a good conscience, and it has to be from faith. Love is the fruit of genuine faith. Love is the fruit of genuine faith. Love is the fruit of good doctrine. Think about that. If we're a church that really respects the Word of God and really wants to have good, sound doctrine, right? The biggest fruit of that is love, and that is why we read First John, chapter four. That passage, that wonderful passage about love. God is love. If we know God, we have love. But notice what John says in that passage. John not only says, "Well, if you are born of God, then your fruit must be love." Okay. He actually reverses that logic. He says, "If you love, then you are born of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God." Verse seven. And then he says, "He who abides in love abides in God, and God in him." Verse sixteen. So John doesn't just say, "If you love God, then you will love." Others, right? He actually flips that around. He says, 
love others, and that shows that you are in God. Okay, love others. If you have love, then God abides in you. Like, love is so important. Right, you could say this. That this focus is really composed of two parts. It's good doctrine and love. Good doctrine and love. Um, if, if you could summarize 1 Timothy in, in, a, in a simple phrase, it would be, Timothy, our charge is to have good doctrine and love. Good doctrine and love. And Paul will come back to this theme and you'll... By the end of this series on 1 Timothy, you'll think Paul is being very repetitious and, and redundant, but that's the whole point, isn't it? For us as a church, for us as Christians living the Christian life, what is our focus? We need to have good doctrine. We need to follow the word of God, which produces love. You know, it, it's it's... It's a fine line that's actually very hard for churches and Christians to do both. And that is why it's emphasized and re-emphasized. Think about all those churches in the book of Revelation, right? The seven churches in the book of Revelation. Most of them either fall one way or the other, and Jesus is not happy, right? For some churches, they, they, they love, they're very warm-hearted, but they are lukewarm on doctrine. And for other churches... They've forgotten their first love. Think about that. Well, you know, how can you say they've forgotten God? Well, probably because they've forgotten how to love each other, right? If God, if you love, then God abides in you. Um, I don't know if you've been following. So that's the charge. It's the fight, but that's not the end of it. It's not good enough just to be a church that fights. You have to fight. But we can't stop there. We have to love. Have good doctrine and love. That's the summary of, that's the cliff notes of, of 1 Timothy. I don't know if you've been following this on the news, the Asbury Revival, uh, Asbury University. I think they're going on for two weeks now. And they have not left the chapel. Asbury University is a Methodist university. It's a little uh, uh, Methodist university, I think, in Georgia, Kentucky. Okay, all right, in, uh, in, in Kentucky. Um, and I think two weeks ago, near the beginning of February, they had a chapel service. You know, for, for these Christian universities, and I, you know, I went to a seminary too, uh, there are chapel services. I can't tell you how many chapel services I went where there were like six people. And this is, this is Westminster Theological Seminary. Okay. Um, and you know, I'm not perfect by any, any means. Right. But, uh, apparently they had a chapel and people didn't leave after chapel and they've stayed there until now. Right. I mean, of course, I think people have to, you know, go to the bathroom or, you know, get some food and, but, but, but basically they've occupied that chapel and had continual services for two weeks and it's still going and it's starting in other campuses as well. I, I think I've read of two, at least two other universities, um, that, that have started that. 
and people are talking about, well, this is a this, this has to be a revival. This has to be the work of the Holy Spirit, um, which I believe it is. Uh, one of the very interesting things about the Asbury revival and the revivals that are happening right now uh, down south um, is people are starting to ask questions, good questions, like, how do we know this is genuine? How do we know this is real? How do we know this is actually the work of the Holy Spirit? How do we continue so that this isn't just a high emotional roller coaster? And after the emotions die down, how do we continue this work? Okay. Uh, well, you know, because our church belongs in Vanguard, I think Al Baker would say one of the uh, marks of a revival is the amount of conversions, repentance and conversions, which is totally true. I mean, if you read Acts, when, when the Holy Spirit came, that was followed by sound preaching, by love and conversions. Okay, but I could all we could also say from this passage, right? Remember, these are not just Paul's charges to Timothy, but Paul is getting these charges from God, from the Holy Spirit. So these are the Holy Spirit's charges to Timothy. And the Holy Spirit is telling Timothy, focus on sound doctrine and love, sound doctrine and love. You know what will keep the Asbury revival going? is if people start to have sound doctrine and if there is love. I mean, sounds so simple when you think about it, right? All you need is sound doctrine and love, and there you have a revival because that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's his work, is to produce faith, trust in sound doctrine, trust in the words of God and the fruit that comes from that, which is love. So if they want to keep the revival going, if they want to know if it's genuine, if we want to have a church that pleases God, if we want to have lives that are honoring and glorifying to God, what must we have? What charge must we do? Have sound doctrine and love. Sound doctrine and love. So where are we? Where are you? in your life, in your walk? Are you one who shies away from sound doctrine? I mean, we're not supposed to do that. Or are you one who is so involved in the fight that you've forgotten how to love? You know, remember those churches in, in Revelation. Either one, you know, too much into one is not good. And Jesus calls them out for that. So we must be a church that has sound doctrine and love. May God give us the grace to do this charge. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, these words uh, that so many years ago that, that you commanded Paul and uh, he in turn commanded one of his disciples, Timothy, to command to the church. Uh, but even though it, it happened so long ago, Lord, it is still so relevant for us today. Help us as a church as people who love you, as your children, both in our lives and in this church, help us to be one that uh, ones who, who love your word uh, with a sincere uh, heart and, and, and help us to be ones who, who love one another 
uh, with a good conscience and from a sincere faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.